Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 408, and this week I'm joined by the wonderful Sam Spruill. I love Sam. He's he's wonderful. I got hit up by his PR people about having him on the podcast, and they said Sam is in the amazing new BBC show, North Water, alongside Colin Farrell and Stephen Graham. He was in Legend, alongside Tom Hardy. He was in Mangrove, one of Steve McQueen's Small Axe series of films. And I emailed them back saying, I definitely want Sam on, but why haven't you mentioned that he was in The Bastard Executioner alongside Scroobius Pip? Um, Yeah, I worked with Sam on that, on my second, no, my first ever TV show. So we had a lot to catch up on. And I adored this chat with Sam. He was so lovely and it was so good to catch up. This is a real... This is a real one, guys. We really, we get into it. We're very honest and open, um, which you tend to enjoy. But yeah, Sam has been in so many things I love. And Northwater, get on it, man. A lot of people have come to me because of Taboo. Northwater has got the feel of Taboo, but it's also got so much different from Taboo. You're going to adore it. Colin Farrell's performance is next level. Jack O'Connell, I don't know why I didn't mention him in the initial bit obviously friend of the podcast Stevie Graham and now friend of the podcast Sam Sproul I'm going to get into it because it's a great chat we're brought to you as ever by speechdevelopmentrecords.com that's my record label and my web store it's where you can get merch for the podcast merch from me and just generally support you can also head over to patreon.com forward slash scroobius pip that's like a dollar a month or something and we're going to have either just done or we're going to be doing soon um, a Patreon Zoom hangout where we all just jump on Patreon and have a bit of a chat. So head over there and get involved in that. But for now, this episode 408 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the wonderful Sam Spruill. Right, I'm here today with Sam Sproul. How are you, Sam? I'm good, actually. The sun is shining at last, and I feel rested. I've been away on holiday in the oh, Lake perfect. District, and uh, yeah, everything's not too bad. How important are holidays to you? Because this is an industry where holidays can be thrown out the window at the, the drop of a hat, so yeah. it's never an easy one. T- to hear that someone has had a successful b- b- break is always exciting, that it wasn't interrupted by... A self-tape or a job or whatever else. <laughs> yeah, I get, I'm a bit more militant about kind of preserving time away. I mean, I've got a son as well yeah. and um, a need to just um, uh, try and be present, you yeah. know. But I think when I was definitely, when I was starting out in the early years, uh, holidays were always a kind of um, point of anxiety where you you kind of knew you were going away and feeling like you were going to, miss out on opportunities yeah and now i'm like oh it will wait it will wait you know they they don't need the tape tomorrow yeah they don't need the tape probably for another two weeks so it will wait and if they want me or if they're interested in me then then you know then that's not going to go away but i think you spend your life kind of um because you're grinding it out so much you can spend your life kind of um neglecting important 
other areas like going away like spending time with your family like doing other stuff that's nothing to do with acting or yeah. the film industry and um and that's really important because um that's what feeds what we do 100% you know those other experiences yeah it's 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 where it all it's all drawn from this was was one of my favorite PR emails to get because I was hit up asking if I'd fancy having y- 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 yourself on and they talked about what we will talk about at the North Water which blew me away and they talked about doing Legend with Tom Hardy and obviously Mangrove um, and all sorts of other stuff and I emailed back going why haven't you mentioned him doing the Bastard Executioner with Scroobius Pip this should be the <laughs> This should be the top of the PR promo. But, yeah, we worked together on a show a good few years back. And, man, we've not really caught up since, but that was my second ever acting gig. And I learned so much from you, from Stephen Moyer, from Danny Sapani, from Katie Mm. Siegel, Tim Murphy, Kurt Sutter. All of you were so... I'd, I'd done... I'm sure we met, talked about it at the time. I'd done music f- for years, but I'd stopped because yeah. I wanted to do acting. And I was always hyper aware that I didn't go to drama school. So on set, I would just be the daddy and everyone. And you were one of the people that I learned loads from, man. So yeah, I want to just start by c- kind of saying a thank you there because it was, it was a priceless classroom as such. Well, that's really uh, nice of you. I can't believe... Um... I, I could teach you anything uh, new uh, um, that was different from what you knew already. You know, I didn't go to drama school either. Yeah. And um, and I think, no, to be serious, every job you learn something, even yeah. if it's a pretty difficult job, as the Bastard Executioner was. Yeah. It wasn't straightforward, that job. And there was lots of things that weren't quite... They weren't really working on that job. Yeah. You know? There was things that... And so for, for you to come... I remember when you arrived, actually, A, you were really nice to me, and <laughs> um, which is always great when someone comes up and is just um, unfiltered yeah. in how they say, hello, and um, I've seen you at some of your work and I really liked it. And that doesn't happen very often, so that's great. And uh, I just remember you being a really enthusiastic energy yeah. and it was at a point of the show where it's quite long it was quite a long filming you know because it, because the it pilots took a long time yeah everything took a that. long time and i was time coming and... in just after the pilot so i think everyone was a bit oh okay wow we're 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 exhausted already well, and we're think, just getting started yeah exactly <laughs> well then that was early yeah and um but uh yeah i do i remember it clearly and i actually i actually i don't know whether we should do this but i'm gonna i'm gonna say it anyway because i read such a funny review of that show yeah and i wanted i wanted to uh read it because it made me laugh so much but i don't know whether you remember it but the, the, there was one review which says the bastard executioner is monstrously fetid, a mound of gorgonzola stuffed into a dead catfish gullet, smoked in sulphur, doused with heavy cream, and left to rot for weeks inside a portaloo in full sun. And um, I... I, <laughs> it's the ones that stick I, with you, isn't I've it? I've never that's... read a review like that yeah. of, um, of anything that I've been in, but it was 
just so um, triumphant in its slamming. Yeah, that, I, I love uh, that it also doesn't actually tell you anything about the show or what. It no, is. Like, nothing. So nothing. It's a review more about the review. Well, the I th- and then I think it was also about yes, how we look at how we look at work, and I think slamming shows can be quite vitriolic and kind of. Um, it's easier to do because it allows a writer to really go to town, doesn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. rather than be enthusiastic for something. But I just thought it was such a kind of gloriously bad review. I yeah. wanted to share it with you. I love it. <laughs> I, my um, second album, no, my first album got 0.1 out of five in, in, in <laughs> I think it was in Pitchfork, and it stuck with me forever because the, <laughs> the passion to not go 0 or 1, to go 0.1 yeah. is like... Man, you've got to respect that that enthusiasm. No, and I think actually you've got to take it on the chin as well because because you know there will be those those reviews. I mean, I've had work that I've been proud of or work that I've really been front and center of where it's been you know, I've I haven't gone looked for it, but I've ended up it's in, it's like it's on the side like the stage manager has left a couple of reviews on the side or whatever and you just turn a kind of side eye to it. Yeah. And you read something that's quite critical of your own performance. And you've just got to somehow own and throw away all at the same time. Yeah. You know? I don't know why we I don't know why we've got onto this. I'm no, sorry. Or, or, or one of the things I learned early on was how fucking hard it is to make a TV show, to make a film, to make all of these things. How many things have to go right? And I again the Bass Execution was a great example of that. I remember watching it back it was the first ever thing I'd done so I thought I've got to watch it and see if I can act or not um and there were bits I loved and there were bits I didn't think were so great so it's one of them when you if you're in a situation like that you can take criticism on the chin as such because you're like yeah Yeah. it didn't go perfect but there was some really good stuff and really good moments but one thing that stuck with me that I learned from you and and from Stephen as well was bringing an element of fun and enjoyment whilst maintaining a complete respect for the job that we're here to do. And yeah. again, that can go either way. I've I've seen since people who are almost serious to a a fault. It gets really yeah. boring to be on set with and work with because it's so mm. it's the biggest thing in the world. And at the end of the day, we're meant to be enjoying it. And they kind of and they kind of suck the energy. Yeah, yeah. it's meant to be f- fun. It's called like plays are called plays. Because we're yeah. meant to be a play, and that's kind of the the point there. But then I've I've been on other sets where I'm like, we're having too much fun here. I don't know if what actually comes out the Absolutely. other end is going to be <laughs> Absolutely. usable. And it's, and it's actually just in both scenarios, it's committing to the bigger picture yeah. rather than just yourself. Yeah. So a lot of the time, just having fun for yourself, where you're not actually, you know, or just mucking around too much, you're not strikes me anyway as a, a kind of people who are fearful to properly commit to yeah. the material yeah, yeah and also there's something about being too um serious or too into your own performance your own work which um also creates an energy that is just too insular yeah and and i think the the best when it's at its best what we do drama or comedy or whatever is when the energy is fizzing between two people rather than just yourself. Exactly that. And that's when it, that's really when you're working together 
um, with other people brilliantly, that's when it really elevates. That's yeah. when it takes off. You know, I've never found deep satisfaction of doing great stuff on my own. Yeah. You know, I, of course, you know, you don't want to fuck it up and you want to, you want to do a good job, but when it really is wonderful, it's with someone else and you, and you're helping each other. There's so many of those scenes in the North water, which I'll, 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 I'll get onto next, but before we move there, I do want to talk about something I've not talked about on the podcast before is there was one scene in the bar executioner where we all wobbled on the balance of, of seriousness and fun. And we got <laughs> a massive giggling fit. It was me, you, Katie, Stephen, Flora, a load of others. And mm. what had basically been happening is before we started rolling, we'd all been teaching Katie different Cockney rhyming slang and different <laughs> and different slang. And then in the right. scene, it was either you or Stephen had to ask if her hooded friend was going to help us, which we then all got hooded friend as meaning penis. Yes, and of course. got the biggest giggles in the world ever. And it was... <laughs> so. I, I think I remember when it came out and I saw that scene... I have my back to everyone for that whole scene because I just couldn't get past it. It was that thing where we then yeah. got shouted at by the AD and that just makes it worse because that means yeah. you, you, you're at school and the teacher has said, stop giggling. And it just... No, and then everyone's gone. And it everyone's was a... Gone. We got it in the end. Everyone got yeah. professional in the end. But there was one of those glorious periods where I was like, oh, this is just humans. It's not this yeah. imaginary thing of actors being this yeah, other I world. It's saying. just yeah. humans. And it was a beautiful moment of going, right, this is silly. Uh, it's totally silly. And I also, um, it makes me uh, remember Katie Seagal in a really fond light. I I think she's a really powerful, brilliant actress. Yeah. She has the kind of power of of someone like um, Kate Blanchett or yeah. something, you know? Yeah. I, I, I just, I really think she's phenomenal. And um, I know she's got a huge fan base from yeah, from yeah, Sons yeah. of Anarchy, and um, but I just think she could do anything. She could work with anyone, you I know. Agree. And I, and, um, and I actually and she was properly lovely as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, got a the, lot of time for her. The, the show I did after the Bass Executioner was called Taboo, and I got instant vibes of that as I started watching the North Water because it's got that darkness and grittiness and moody tone so yeah how was that as a job to get because you look at the cast list and you've got colin farrell stephen graham who was sending me a load of videos while you were filming jack o'connell tony pitts yourself but then you add what i think is literal acting royalty and peter mullen sir tom courtney all of these people at what point do you kind of look at the cast list and go all right all right, we're going to have some 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 fun here. This is yeah, this is a job. Well, well, I couldn't. Oh, the process was. I was just offered the part, Amazing. which never, never, or rarely happens in such a kind of big and also such a quality show. I also, it was offered by the director Andrew Haig, who I had seen. I think his first film is called The Weekend, and then I'd seen um, 45 Years. Which, and I, I then, mean, I think is a genuine classic of British yeah, cinema. I'd, I'd put Andrew on that list with Peter Mullen, Stevie, everyone else. Yeah, it's just, yeah. And also then I saw Lean on Pete, which he did in America, and he also did a series called Looking. I mean, a, a properly a, a proper director, yeah, yeah. a proper writer-director um, with vision, doing all kinds of different material. And then I read this, and it was 
very men heavy, quite um, kind of um, on the face of it, quite a macho story and a masculine story, certainly, you know. And then I met him and uh, he talked about, (laughs) he talked about his kind of fascination with the kind of social dynamics of young fellas kind of when you see kind of in pubs or um, football fans or, you know, how, how tactile they were with each other, but how there was obviously kind of quite complicated dynamics of affection and love between them and hierarchies and just really complicated social things that were going on. And he said, I want to get that in Northwater, and I also want to write a period. I've written a period drama that is about working class people, and so yeah. so many of our um, period dramas are about upper middle class, yeah. upper class people. And he's, I don't want any of that. You know, I want this boat to feel like a factory, you know, and a northern factory. Even though I was playing a southern guy, but just where. All the people, to to the people in charge, Stephen Graham's character, Tom Courtney's character, they're all they've all come from nothing, yeah. and they all have uh, a kind of um, a drive about them, also that doesn't uh, that feels um, uh, feels very working class compared to um, the kind of wealth and opulence of um, other people who are often featured in period dramas, yeah. and. Uh, so I was really excited about that. And then I started to find out about the cast. Yeah. And then I, and then I, I, I couldn't believe that Colin Farrell was going to do it. Yeah. I was just totally associate him with a different world. And, and I, right up to the end, I was convinced he wasn't, he was just going to pull out. But when I met him for the first time and I talked to him, he said, I wanted to do this from the off. I was fully committed. There was no complication about that. And I was just like, that's great. And I've worked with Jack O'Connell three times. No, twice before. Start up, didn't you? Start up. I did start up with him. And I think he's a phenomenal actor. And then all the usuals, Tom Courtney, Stephen Graham, Peter Mullen. I just, yeah, it was incredible to be part of that gang. You know, and um, and to feel like I could mix it with that lot. I, yeah. I was genuinely humbled by that because I, you know, we just want to work with good people. And we all know who the good people are. And it's, um, and to be included, it was just fantastic, you know. And, it's, and it really is an ensemble piece. I think when people start to see it, the first thing people are going to talk about is going to be Colin's performance because it's so off-brand it's just so out of character i think you spoke of katie being kind of underrated colin is one of those i think he got so known off screen as such that people forgot at times how amazing an actor he is and how amazing a a, yeah a performer totally and also though he is he is a very good looking guy yeah with an abundance of irish charm and so he fits a certain kind of like he is a movie star, yeah. But he's actually really—he's much—he's um, much brighter than just that, you yeah. know. He's very intelligent actor, uh, very intelligent person, really interested in everything. And I think he wants to, you know, you can see by you know being in the Lobster, 
all the films he's done with McDonough. Yeah. Is it John McDonough? Or what? And, and, you know, he wants to do intelligent material that explores uh, humanity properly, yeah. you know, and darkness properly, you yeah. know. And, um, yes, I'm sure he's got all kinds of overheads that you and I don't have, Scooby, <laughs> you know, where yeah. he has a lifestyle to keep up and all kinds of people who who work for him, like his assistant, and he's got kids that he's looking after, all the rest of it. Yeah. So he needs to earn a certain amount and do certain jobs, but he is just hungry uh, for what most of us are hungry for, which is really great quality material, really great characters that push him, you know, that push him into areas that he hasn't been yeah. and that we can explore. And this is why we become actors. You know, we, we're interested in psychology. We're interested in what makes not only ourselves tick, but everyone else. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's why I do it. And I, it's certainly why Colin does it, but I'm sure he gets all kinds of pressure to do all, all manner of crap. But I think when something like this comes along with a serious writer, director like Andrew Haig, yeah, he, he's there. And then it does, then it does give him the chance to transform. So he, he just put on, he just got really fat. Yeah. He just got really fat. And, and, but, and actually in fairness to him was doing kind of really strong heavy weights just to kind of make all this kind of upper body, just yeah. bulk it out. Yeah. There's a point where he takes his shirt off and you're like, oh, right. This isn't just, he's, no. you know, he's turned into this, which again is perfect because he's a guy in the, who's worked on ships and all that kind of thing his whole life. You're going to have that natural. Absolutely, man strength. But he's but he looks like a walrus. Yeah, yeah. You know, he looks he looks like he's um, out of the wild. You know, yeah. which his character slightly is. Yeah. And actually, Andrew um, gave me this one note which really unlocked the character for me. I hope it's not a spoiler. It's not really a spoiler. It's just it's actually it was something for me. But he says, I think I, I think um, Cavendish is the character I play is in love with. Drax, which was Colin's character, and that just totally unlocked it. Amazing, and it, and it was in it, it. It sounds really simple, but in love, maybe a kind of sexual thing, maybe not. But that kind of love you feel as a kid for older kids, yeah. You know that that kind of adoration or that that the idolizing of someone who is just you're better in every way and yeah. a, and older and you know more experienced. You just you just adore them. Yeah. And that's when he said that to me, when I had that as a character note, it was, it began a kind of um, love affair for my character. So I, I was in it. a love film. I was in a bromance that's beautiful, for episodes one to four. Cause that know? comes across. Cause it's, uh, it's the, your character is kind of trying to project that he's on a, a level with Colin's character, but really he knows he isn't. He wants, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's that older boy or that older mate or old, again, football fans is the best example of that. I remember going to f- football since I was young and you see those friendships and you want to be that guy. And, yeah, but, but you can't let that out. You can't, like you can't no. do the Scroobius pip turn up on set and say, "Hey, I love all you guys." <laughs> like, yeah. You have to play it cool, yeah. and you have to ease it yeah. in, and and that came across with, uh, with Cavendish that uh, we're equals, right? But really knowing that we're not equals, I, I want to be. It's amazing. That's such a good note. 
It's such a good one. And what's so great about Cavendish, what I adore playing with him is that he's constantly telling people he's in charge, but constantly feeling he has no status whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So, he's, so, he, so it's really, um, he, his internal story is one of, you know, is anxious and um, feeling deficient in every way. And, but his, his outside is bravado and bluster and uh, just noise, you know, but yeah. he's, ca- he's, and he's always, he's also just a bag of chaos. Yeah. And um, I just, once you get into the rhythm of that character, it's just, a, it was a treat to play. Yeah. I love it. It's really interesting. You mentioning um, Andrew wanting to focus on the working classes of that period, which is so often overlooked, but because it makes me think of the myths that the, the war films brought forward you think of all the all the war sergeants and that as being very upper class and the reality is they weren't the people who played them in the films about the wars were these upper class people so the the wars were filled with working class people on the front line and at the top but yeah because of the way films were made back in the day that's never been captured and that's the fascinating thing here again all period stuff all focuses on the upper classes and the... I, I think a lot of the time, and I think also, you know, I, Jack O'Connell, he, his character is working class as well, who's who's definitely kind of raised himself uh, above his natural station, if you like, mm-hmm. by through his education, through wanting to become a doctor. And I think Jack's performance is unbelievably measured and paced and... Uh, such an intelligent performance, actually, and he's a cocky git. So I don't like saying that, but <laughs> but it's it's it's. I, I really do think it's a great performance. But this is this is a bit of a gripe. But I I'm going to say it anyway. I sometimes feel that if a uh, an actor who had gone to Harrow or Eton had produced that level of performance, yeah. it would be lauded. Yeah, I, and I feel like as it. Jack is, you know, from Derby and um, is working class himself. I feel, I, I really hope he gets the plaudits. Yeah. But I, I feel like people just go, oh, it's wonderful instinct. It's a, it's a, it's a performance drawn from instinct, almost, almost through sheer luck. It, yeah. He, he yeah. has arrived there, but it's absolutely not. Jack is a really um, fiercely intelligent guy who also has incredible instincts. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I really hope he gets what he deserves for his preparation, yeah. not just for his instinctual ability. I completely know. agree. And m- measured is the key word there. Because for the first few episodes, I was watching thinking, it's Jack putting in a typically J- Jack performance. And I mean that as a compliment. Mm. He's amazing. Mm. And then there's a point in kind of four or five where it just goes to a next level and that wouldn't have the impact if he hadn't been so controlled early on and yeah it's it's clearly intelligent choices and and taking us on the journey that his character went on that it's not this it's you know if you go through what those guys go go through you're going to change yeah you know you can't just give the same thing i think i think also with his performance he's got so much going on around him, so much bluster, so yeah. much masculinity, so much kind of blood, guts and involvement. And he has to be this kind of figure that is removed, that is um, 
you know, he's on drugs a lot of the time. So he has that kind of natural dislocation, but his removal, his kind of overview of it has, is the kind of heart of the film. You know, you're seeing life slightly through his eyes as well. I think that's really hard as an actor, not to try and compete with the bluster and the noise and the kind of to stay, you know, in your lane, in your character's lane, I think it was particularly hard for him, you know, because, and and I think he, he does it with a plomb. I think what was also really good about Andrew Haig and the kind of his approach to period was also him just saying, don't put any of your modern morality onto any of these stories, right. onto any of these characters. You know, try and just remove all that. Remove morality full stop, yeah. you know, and just and just let it sing. You know, Stephen Graham, he'll, I think he has a couple of mentions when there is a certain thing that happens on the ship where, he's, where he brings in you know, it's not natural or it's, yeah. it's ungodly or whatever. That was a kind of, that was, but they, people, as in modern life, but they pick and choose morality when they yeah. like, and these characters are very much like that. But it was really good to be let off any, where it just, where these people just said what's in their thoughts rather than kind of, rather than kind of filtering it as we do very much now, you know, yeah. we've got all kinds of um, moral filters happening, which stop us from quite rightly m- yeah. a lot of the time from, <laughs> yeah. from, from um, voicing our impulses, yeah. you know, but these are the guys where the impulse just goes like that. Um, well, I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about speaking of, of, of impulse and being, um, I don't know, of not having to act at certain parts uh, me and, St- and Stevie got really cl- close on Taboo and have remained good mates. And he was sending me videos while you were filming some of this. And yeah. how much of a difference did it make to be out in the snow, in the seas, in the waters, in these terribly like challenging scenarios? It makes a difference on the screen because, again, you can CGI most of these things, but seeing those landscapes and those l- locations totally. was just mind-blowing and it just struck me one of the things that I always think is anything (laughs) any element I don't have to worry about acting means I can focus on all these other things so as an example if I don't have to act cold because I'm fucking cold cool that's enough that's another thing I don't have to think about and I can be focusing on 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 these things so how was it kind of having putting yourselves through similar conditions to what your character was was having to deal Uh, with yeah i think what you're saying is really true i actually listened to another to one of your your podcasts with um tahir rahim yes and he was saying similar things you know about anything that you can do to me to help me submerse myself Yeah. yeah in in this character yeah um is welcome and i and um uh and and he also said you know actors are a bit crazy they want to feel, they really just want to feel the depths of what they're meant to be feeling, you know? So whether it be cold, if it's cold, then yeah, yeah. give me fucking minus 25 temperatures. Yeah. And I think that's, that's definitely true. That was, it was amazing being out there. It was amazing being totally separate from the world. 
Yeah. Actually, you know, yes, we were, there was a lot of crew or whatever. We were a team of, I don't know, maybe a hundred people, maybe 150 people um, making our way north through the ice. Mm. And, but just that separation, that total isolation. I actually spoke to the um, Andrew Haig's um, partner, Andy, who was with us on that recently. And he said, um, I hated it. I think he just, it freaked him out how separate we were. Yeah. I think it really, for the cast, that kind of isolation just compressed yeah. the nature of the piece, you know, just really, uh, there was no escape from these people, you know, and, 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 and actually the cast got on pretty well, but it could have gone either way. Yeah. You know, that level of um, no escape yes, we could go back to our bedrooms or whatever, but you were with each other all the time. It could have blown up. It, it could have it, been, if, if someone had been badly behaved, yeah. if Colin Farrell hadn't led it with such a plomb and yeah. been a kind of total tool drunk coming out, you know, it could have all fallen to, into complete chaos. It's, it's, you know? it's fascinating though, because it plays into what you said Andrew was initially saying to you about, about being fascinated by the relationships of men. So throwing yeah. you all out to sea to, to, to together in the real world is g- giving you l- lessons and throwing in sh- sh- shadow movements and whatever else of how you all interact together, Absolutely. which is then what you're doing on camera. So that must that's perfect. It's perfect. And also, you know, there was no phoning back home. There was no going to the pub. There was nowhere else to escape because the phoning back home, I think we had a couple of calls on a satellite phone, yeah. but actually there was... We were there was no Wi-Fi. Yeah. There was no emails. There was no there was no phones. You know how on set people kind of go when they're feeling uncomfortable, they'll go back to their phones yeah. and you know send an email or check their Instagram or whatever the fuck it is because that is our kind of modern day crutch. Yeah. You know, but but there was none of that. Yeah. You just had to, and I loved it because you just it was just work and eating and sleeping and that was really it and uh but also just with regards to being out there it really changes your mindset of it it makes you feel very 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 tiny and that's uh and that was interesting to play with with regards to you know um with regards to you know the mindsets of our characters and uh and you can't help but feel inspired by the kind of unforgiving beauty of it, you know, yeah. and, and, and some of those shots and the light and the cold and the wind and everything. I mean, look, when you're an actor, you try and you use whatever you can get, whatever, what anyone tells you, whether it's the, a grip or, or the director or the writer or another actor, you'll just try and, get anything to help you make this performance as rich as possible, you know? And yeah, as you say, all that environment was just, um, it was, it was really, really helpful. It's perfect because it's finding any of those small things. I was, I was, I was shooting a TV show in Canada recently and I was out there for seven months in an Airbnb on my own. Wow. Um, That's a long time. It was an intense one, but I've always been a bit of a try not to have my phone on set guy anyway because of exactly as you say i think you can get lost in it and forget what you're there to do but there was a period in this show where my character was in prison 
And on that, I was like, I'm not bringing my phone anywhere because this is perfect. Because, again, the fact is, if I've got a scene and I'm being interrogated, I would have been sat in that prison thinking about what I'm going to say when they walk in for hours on end. So it's like it's far better to just be almost bored of going over the dialogue and bored of going over the scene than to be on my phone. And that was just small things that I could go, I can do that. That's easy. And that adds to to what is going to happen here. But I think also, you know, I think there's a lot of the time where we're frightened of, I think you've got to keep it fresh, but I don't think that means you don't know your lines or whatever. I think that we're frightened of just, you know, doing lines or some people hate doing lines before a show. Uh, Colin would always, we go to, uh, when we we filmed a lot of it in Budapest as well, and we go to these, um, baths and he'd we'd be kind of up to our chins in in hot water and um him in a very tight pair of swimming trunks i have to say but um (laughs) uh and um he'd always asked to run lines and um i thought that was um just there's something kind of because you have to put yourself out there you have to run them and whenever you get involved in a scene there is a kind of feeling of vulnerability you know and um and it, and it was just, I think he just, that's, you just got to commit to scenes. Yeah. Fuck the phones off. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not making any sense, but I'm just building on what you're saying. No, you know, I completely that, uh, agree. Well, I mean, yeah. speaking of, obviously, Andrew and all of the people that we've spoken of as, as legends of British cinema, Steve McQueen is right mm. up there on anyone's list. And when Small Axe dropped, it was, it was while I was in Canada, actually. I was, I was watching mm. it in my in my little Airbnb, and Mangrove was the introduction to it all. And it was just mind-blowing. How was that to work on with a director who I feel is, is so important, but also mm. stories that are so important at this time and at this moment to be told? Yeah. How, how was that to be part of? It was... Well, on one level, it's fantastic. You know, I, we all want to work with great directors, as we discussed. And when Steve McQueen asked me to do it, I was um, to play this um, policeman who, um, Frank Pulley, and he was actually on the cover of the, the front page of the People newspaper who questioned whether he was the worst policeman in Britain. Wow. And... Um, but he had quite an illustrious career, actually, as in he, he's, he's stuck around for years and years and um, kind of terrorising the black residents of Notting Hill. So he asked me to play this part, and the working with him was great. I thought the project was really great. I thought the part, it was a bit of a kind of deep breath where I have played a lot of nasty people and... And I always try and imbue them, no matter how nasty they are, try and imbue them with um, some humanity because I think it just makes them more believable. But this guy was horrible. And um, and so it's actually quite a difficult shoot yeah. because it was the, man, the, the all the guys playing the Mangrove Nine, that was them, they got closer and closer and there was so much love between the actors. Yeah. And then, and, but but that was what was meant to be happening with that group. And then I felt I was just <laughs> sitting on a chair on my own, yeah. waiting for my time to be as horrible to as I could to them. To come out and be really horrible yeah, to everyone. Yeah, yeah. And, we, and also what was, what was interesting was that we all stayed in our lanes. So we kind of, 
everyone throughout the day, not, it wasn't a kind of conscious decision in the cast, but everyone stayed in their lanes. Everyone slightly stayed in character. And so I never, I rarely talked to them. It wow. was all a bit kind of, you know, when we were putting the same green room together, there was, everyone was a bit like, all right, how are you doing? But that was it. It was kind of, we didn't yeah. really speak at all. And I knew some of them as well, but we just didn't speak. And um, so it was quite a lonely job, but I just thought, of course, it was an important job. I think the whole project kind of black London life from 60s through to 80s, you know, exploring a lot of Steve McQueen's childhood, really. I think as a, as a kind of a group of five films is hugely important. Yeah. A hugely entertaining, but also really just important bit of um, social history, you know, that has been cut out of a lot of um, uh, British television you know british television production so i was thrilled to be part of that and i constantly felt we were making something of quality you know whether you're observing the dop or you see the demands that steve is putting on the project or all the other actors just doing fucking brilliant work and yeah. you making you feel like you've really got to come in with a very good game you yeah. know and preparation and um yeah, just, uh, God, it was such a tough job, but and I was really relieved when it was over, but I just, I, I really also was thrilled to be a part of it. Did, did, did you kind of remember any of that era? Obviously, you would have been a young kid back yeah. then, but did that, did you draw from, from, from much of that? Or where did you, or you grow up? Were you in London or what was your... Yeah, it's really interesting you say that. I mean, I it was set in kind of around 68 to 70 and I was born in 77. So, yeah. so before my time, but I grew up in, in Lewisham and I went to school in Kibrook. So I was, my teenage years were absolutely dominated by um, the killing of Stephen Lawrence. Yeah. And um, I knew a lot of the people who were in and around the people who, who committed that murder. And they were all frightening and their dads were frightening. And it was, in fact, I couldn't wait to leave that area. Yeah. And a lot of people stay, but for me, it had a profound effect on how I viewed the world as a teenager. Yeah. And, um, and I think actually, you know, and that's me as a white person. Yeah. I can, I can't even imagine what it was like as a black person uh, seeing, witnessing firsthand the kind of, the real kind of uh, harsh brutality of institutional racism yeah. and see, and just seeing it, um, seeing it kind of um, impinge on your community as such, you know, as such close hands. So uh, God, so I guess I've used those characters. Yeah. They're, they're those characters who I knew who were racist pricks, mm. um, they are, I carry them with me yeah. and I, 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 I probably use them more than I know when doing a character like um, Frank Pulley in Mangrove, you yeah. know, that, that's, that's what I draw on. And it's not, I don't think it's great to have them, have them to carry them with me, yeah. but that, that's just my lot in life. And um, yeah. So, so, so what was your route in, into acting? Like you mentioned earlier, you didn't, go to drama school. And I think, were you doing stage first or? I did National Youth Theatre. Right. 
That's what I thought because I kind of looked and on your IMDb you kind of appeared and I was like, I remember some of these things. Like this wasn't a new, like this wasn't you just starting off. So there must have been some stage. Yeah, no, that. I did national, I did national youth theatre, but actually, and and I got an agent through that while, and I was at university up in Hull, and I got an agent in my the second year of my university, and then so I did my third year, came down, and started going up for jobs and started meeting people and um, was expecting just to do theatre. And then my first few jobs were in film. So one short film with a guy called Miguel Sapochnik. He now does, he's now doing the Game of Thrones, actually. He's the lead director on the Game of Thrones. And, but he was, it was, he was a young man then. And I just, and he gave me this short film, which did really well, a sci-fi thing. And then I, I went and met Catherine Bigelow. And she cast me in um, K-19, The Widowmaker, which was a small, like, a spear-carrying role. But uh, I was away for five months working with Harrison Ford, living the life. And I thought it was all going to be like that. I thought this, I came back home thinking, oh, I'm going to be in the movies now. And of (laughs) course, and then I, and I'd earned some money as well. I was working in a cafe before clearing 150 pound a week. And suddenly I was making much more than that. But of course I didn't work for a year after that. And I just, and I just, and it was a real lesson. And I sat on my ass for a lot of that time because I had money and I didn't need to work. And actually it was the worst thing for me. I should have been doing any job Mm. and just getting out there, you know, because it was, because unemployment is a killer. It rots the brain. I didn't have your kind of personal industry scripts, you know, like (laughs) where it's like I'm doing music or if I'm not doing music, I'm writing stuff or I'm not doing, I'm doing a podcast. You know, I just didn't know about any of that. I was just purely built for, for being employed. And actually it's taken me, you know, 20 odd years to kind of realize, actually, no, you've got to make it happen a bit more. And I have made it happen a bit on my own, but in terms of work, I've started writing now and, and doing all kinds of things. But I see a lot of the kids who are coming out of drama school, whatever, they're writing immediately. Yeah. You know, they're getting on with it immediately in their twenties, you know, and by the time they get to 30, they're going to have their own shows. You know, I was slow to the game. I I was so lucky again on, on Taboo, Stevie Graham sat me down and I said, yeah, I've done this Guy Ritchie film. I did the Bass Execution and now this. And he said, that's great, but know that the industry isn't like that. You're not yeah. going to continue to go from gig to gig to gig. There's going to be big gaps, all of this. Yeah. And the other one was Tom Hardy who sat me down and said, like, like he, he'd, he'd been a fan of some of my music and that, and he'd got me to write a promo thing f- for the show. Because yeah, his point fantastic. was, you're learning on the acting front, but the writing thing you've been doing for years. It may have been in a different area, but that, that, that's what you know. So, so early on, exactly that, it motivated me to kind of be like, right, I'll work on scripts when I'm not getting jobs. And, you know, as you say, to keep the mind ready and and exploring characters and, and looking into all these worlds. And I think also a lot of the, a lot of the jobs, you know, we talked about on this Today, we talked about two really great jobs, the North War and Mangrove, but a lot of them just aren't like that. Yeah. They're just not as rich. They're just not as kind of intelligent. They won't demand of you what your brain is ready to provide, you know. And so a lot of the time you do need to stretch yourself with other things, whether it be, you know, just stuff that we do like reading or, or, or going to galleries and stuff that is really kind of asking you to see the world in a different way. 
And you want that from your work, but it won't always be like that. Yeah. You know, you may be earning a ton doing a Marvel film, but don't tell me that the Marvel films are kind of intellectually complex. Yeah. It's not, that is not what they're the asking. Of you. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, so it's, you know, the joy is finding stuff that really, you know, expands your brain. Well, uh, uh, before I start, to wrap things up and talk about what's ahead. I wanted to quickly ask, we talked about how, you know, some of the worst people that you grew up with maybe informed PC Frank Pulley. I wanted to ask how much did um, PC Crane help you prepare for Frank Pulley? Because <laughs> they're very different levels of of, of, of ignorant racism and, and, and yeah. small-mindedness. I loved, yeah. for those who don't know, it's a a short that you did a few years back, a fair few years back, I guess now. But yeah, I really enjoyed it, and that was that was with a mate of mine, Colin O'Toole, yeah. who's a who's a writer director who actually he wrote and directed a short I was in, which won him a BAFTA, right? Um, called um, uh, Cowboy Dave, which is um, yes. which is actually a fantastic short, and I think it's got more life in it because he's since been doing a podcast on. It was about this Manchester musician who was murdered and he's, he's, he's been researching for a podcast and his murder is actually unsolved. And also um, quite a kind of, he, he was from quite a kind of complex world of um, drugs and prostitution and, and pop music. And uh, he was in that time of the factory in Manchester, you know, such interesting uh, musical time, but, um, but we wanted to do something. I mean, like, Colin just put it out on the internet. I was like, do I have any say in that? But, um, <laughs> but it was what we wanted to do. It was a time of um, uh, David Cameron and hugging a hoodie. And we yeah. wanted to try and, oh, God, we wanted to show the kind of disingenuousness of, of all that. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the, the kind of disingenuousness of, um, of Tory, compassion yeah. which we just we weren't buying yeah and yeah, um and so we and so we and we tried to um explore that with that i mean like maybe whoever maybe he should be brought back old pc crane you know because some people really enjoyed him but it was it was really us just mucking around trying to find a voice and we uh, that's also important you know i think it was quite good for me to go and do that because colin just organized the camera and a and um uh um, some sound recorders um, uh, and a sound recorders with his equipment. And we just went out on the streets of Hoxton <laughs> and started improvising, you know, it was like really Amazing. frightening, but it's, um, yeah, we, I think we should build it. And we sometimes talk about bringing him back. Yeah. We'll see. I think yeah. it's great fun. It was one of them, them characters that instantly felt fully realized and you know them. And so it means you can just drop them in any scenario and yeah. Yeah. Let's see how that goes. Oh well, that's interesting. You say that. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe you've inspired us. I to, love it. Um, bring him back. Well, yeah. I, I always kind of end with asking what's ahead, and that's always tough for actors and writers and directors because it's always what's ahead that you're allowed to talk about. But I mean, just just hearing you speak about doing some writing now excites me because the writers' work you've worked on the directors you've worked with, the actors you've worked with, and what you've touched upon is the crews you've worked with. Like, I've already learned the amount you can learn from a, a DOP or from a grip or from all these other mm. people. 
it makes me excited for what way you would go writing, directing, anything else. So, yeah. Yeah. What's ahead and what's the goal, I guess? I mean, the goal is always to work on as good scripts as possible and with really interesting directors. And um, I'm about to go and do um, a film in Norway, which is an adaptation of, oh, I feel really bad that I can't remember his name, Ove. He's a Danish crime writer. And it's called, the film's called The Hanging Sun. And um, that's with maybe Peter Mullen, but Jessica Brown Finley. Amazing. She's great. And... Charles Dance and um, a Norwegian actress uh, who's actually just won, I think, Best Actress in Cannes. And uh, so it's going to be quite a Euro film made by an Italian production and set in Norway. Wow. So it's, so, I mean, it's, yeah, and I'm playing twins in that. So that's, that's the challenge there. And you've got obviously experience of, of being on Legend where Tom Hardy was playing twins and the intricacy of shooting. Yeah, that. and if I can get anywhere near that performance, that would be good. But it's, um, it's uh, yeah, I think it will, I, the, you never see the twins in the same shot. Yeah. That's, the, that's the difference yeah. between this film and his. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I've got uh, other stuff coming out, which I still can't talk about because it's something for BBC and for some reason... It's a, like there's been no permission to talk about it yep, yet. Yeah, but um, but I think one thing which I I am kind of preoccupied with it is the kind of work being produced post lockdown. Yeah, and what kind of work we want to to be making. You know, what what's in has there been a reset? You know, there's been a reset in lots of people's lives, it feels, you know, like how, whether it be like, oh, I'm not sure I'm happy in this domestic situation, I want to change it, or I want to uh, improve it. Um, But it's also, I want to change, you know, loads of people have changed careers. Mm. And uh, yeah, there's been a kind of shake up over this pandemic time, it feels for, for a few people. And I think that I would hope there's been a kind of shake up in terms of the kind of material that we want to produce. Like, do we need another crime drama about a killer who's killing women? You know, have we had enough of those? Is there something that we can do that is um, dramatic, but also uh, explores new territory? I think, you know, there's certain people leading that, that charge, like yeah. Michaela Cole, yeah. is certainly, you know, the voice of a generation, and 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 you know, but I think, I think I'm hoping that the work that is being commissioned now is a kind of um, I don't know is interesting and is uh, dynamic and diverse and is telling stories that we haven't heard before telling different stories. And I, I hope that that is a sentiment that is born out of this period of reflection during lockdown. hundred percent. I, I went to see a film last night called Zola, which I really enjoyed. I really thought yeah, it was, I want to see it. It was yeah. great. And I came home and I tweeted something and it's that's stuck in my mind. Cause it's a simple mantra that I want to live by. And I just said, I, I want to make the best shit with the best people for the best reasons. Yeah. And that's it. That's, and that's yeah. if that feels like it's what we've discussed all through this podcast is, is yeah. that desire to just work with the people you're excited to work with and for good reasons, not for, oh, this will be good for my career or this will be good pay or whatever else. Obviously, those things come into it in the end. But 
coming yeah. out of this past year, that's got to be the outlook and the focus, just getting to work on those projects. Shall we end it on that? Let's end it on that, mate. Thank you very much for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, me too. I've really enjoyed it. Excellent. I'm going to press stop there. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I told you that was a good one. Sam is fantastic. Honestly, get on North Water. It's special. It's really special. You're going to love it. I'll, uh, I'll I'll leave it at that. I'll be back n- next week. Next week, I've got um, Sophie Willen, amazing comedian. She's got a show called Alma's Not Normal that's also on iPlayer now. You're going to l- love it. I highly recommend it. So, yeah, loads of things for you to check out, boys and girls. I've been Scroobius Pip. This has been episode 408 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. And I would like you to stay sane, stay sexy and stay safe. I'd left the set up. I moved it from stay sane and stay safe. It used to be stay sane, stay safe and stay sexy. And I dropped the sexy because there was some weird stuff going on in the world. And I've just brought it back and I'm not sure how I feel about it. So let's stay safe and stay sane. And if you want, stay sexy, man. Ta-ta.